if you're visiting with us, no, I'm not your preacher. I'm like a substitute teacher. Clay and Gail, I believe, have gone on a vacation, a much-needed vacation. So keep them in your prayers that they'll have a safe trip and that they'll come back to us. If you want to turn to John chapter 8, we'll stand in a moment. But I'm reminded of a story I heard about a mother who called to her son and said, Son, you need to get up. We've got to be at church in an hour and a half. He just rolled over and went back to sleep. In a little while, she hollered up again, Son, I'm telling you, you need to get up. Your breakfast is ready. Church starts in an hour. He murmured something, put the pillow over his head, went back to sleep. Third time, she hollers up there, Son, you better get up. Your breakfast is cold, and we're not going to make it on time if you don't get up. Sure enough, nothing happened. So finally, she went upstairs said, son, this is it. Now I'm telling you, you need to get out of that bed. We got to go. And he said, but mom, I don't want to go. Those people don't like me. Music's terrible. Sermons are dull. I just don't like it. I don't want to go. She said, but son, you got to go. You're 40 years old and you're the preacher. <laughs> Thank you all. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. If you'd like to stand while I read the word of God. Jesus met, I'm sorry, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning he went back to the temple, and all the people came to him and sat and taught them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, they forced her to stand before the people. Verse 4, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught having sexual relations with a man who's not her husband. Verse 5, the law of Moses commands that we stone her death, every woman who does this. What do you say we should do? They were asking this to trick Jesus so they could have some charge against him. But Jesus bent over and started writing on the ground with his finger. Seven, when they continued to ask Jesus their question, he raised up and said, Anyone here who has never sinned can throw the first stone at her. Then Jesus bent over again and wrote on the ground again. Those who heard Jesus began to leave one by one. First the older men, then the others. Jesus was left there alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus raised up again and asked, Woman, where are they? Has no one judged you guilty? She answered, No one, sir. Then Jesus said, I also don't judge you guilty. You may go, but don't sin anymore. Now, Jesus had many... You can sit down, I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you don't have to listen to me anyway. Sit down when you want to. Stand up when you want to. Jesus had many encounters with the Jewish leaders. 
this particular story that, that we just read has so many interesting little twists to it that we will see as we go through it verse by verse. Before we look at the scriptures that I just read to you, we need to set the stage a little bit. And I'm going to read to you back from John chapter 7. And I'm reading out of the New Century Version, in case you're wondering, having trouble following me. John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He did not want to go to Judea because some evil people there wanted to kill him. It was time for the Feast of Shelters, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles for us. So Jesus' brother said to him, you should leave here and go to Judea so your followers there can see the miracles you do. Anyone who wants to be well known does not hide what he does. If you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. In verse 5, even Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. So Jesus says to his brothers, the right time for me has not yet come. But any time is right for you. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I tell it the evil things that it does. So you go to the feast. I will not go yet to this feast because the right time for me has not yet come. After saying this, Jesus stayed in Galilee. But after Jesus' brothers had gone to the feast, Jesus went also, but he did not let the people see him. This feast we're talking about, this Feast of Shelters, Feast of Tabernacles, is an interesting feast. You see, there were seven major feasts in the Jewish calendar. They were all found in Leviticus chapter 23, if you ever want to look at them. There were spring feasts, and there were fall feasts. And they were all organized around the agricultural cycles of planting and harvesting. Feasts were common in the ancient world, the, the world of agricultural societies is what I'm talking about. People set aside particular times to thank God for the last harvest and to ask God to provide them with another harvest come next spring. The feasts of the spring were the Passover, which you've heard of, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, and the Feast of the Pentecost. The fall feast began with the Feast of the Trumpets, and then the Day of Atonement, and finally the Feast of Tabernacles, the one we're talking about. So being the last feast in the fall, it would occur about our month of October. And at this last feast, before the winter, when hopefully the rains would come and prepare the soil for the spring, then you might have food for the harvest. If the rains didn't come, there would probably be no food for the spring, and you might starve to death. It's hard to imagine that there were no Walmarts or Super C's, but there weren't. So you had to grow it yourself. And at this time in Jerusalem, there were thousands of pilgrims would pour in there for these days of feasting. And they stayed in these little shelters. Hebrew word was sukkots. And they were nothing but lean-tos. 
no real protection. It was more symbolic than anything, but they stayed in them. Now back to our story. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And they forced her to stand before the people. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, this woman was caught having sexual relationships with a man who's not her husband. The law of Moses commands that we stone her to death. What do you say? Now, wait a minute. These were the teachers of the law and the Pharisees who were telling him this. You would think they would know the law a little bit better than that, wouldn't you? For actually what the law says in Leviticus 20, verse 10, I'm reading it out of the King James, and the man who committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Hmm, both of them. It's restated in Deuteronomy 22, verse 22. If a man is found lying with a woman married to an husband, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away the evil from Israel. Now, wait a minute. Back to our story. Where's the guy? They only brought the woman. Hmm. I wonder what's going on here. Our scripture says a woman who, who has been caught in adultery and they forced her to stand before the people. I think there's two interesting points come out here. They forced her to stand before the people. Yes, she was caught in an act of breaking the law. But can you imagine the humiliation she was now suffering? She would be scared to death and trembling The second point is, she was no doubt aware of the penalty or the punishment. It really doesn't resonate with you and I because we have never seen such a thing. And we have trouble imagining such a horrific punishment. But she knew that. She knew that she was within minutes, if not hours, from dying and dying a horrible death. Stoning, which is also called lapidation, was a brutal and gruesome way to die. Depending on the method used, the guilty person could die fairly quickly, but more often it would take anywhere from 20 minutes to two hours to die. Obviously, this would be more like torture. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how people were stoned, but we have accounts over the years that tell us some of the methods used. One account's given in the Jewish book of oral law known as the Mishnah. That's kind of an interesting play on words. The oral law you've heard about. There was the law of Moses, there was the written law. Then there was the oral law. Well, eventually somebody wrote down the oral law. And a Jewish scholar named Jacob Neusner translated it into English, and it's a fascinating book. It's very difficult to read. It's about that thick. But there's some really fascinating things in there. In fact, in the Mishnah, sub-book of Sanhedrin, chapter 6, section 4, 
it tells us how to stone somebody. Number one, place, the place of the stoning was twice a man's height with rocks down below. So that would be at least 10 foot high with rocks down below. One of the witnesses would push the guilty person by the hips so they would land on their heart. In other words, face down on the rocks. The guilty person was then turned over on their back. If this caused their death, then the punishment was fulfilled. But if not, the second witness took a large stone and dropped it on the person's chest. If that didn't kill them, then all Israel that was there were allowed to stone them. She knew this. She would have reason to know this. Can you imagine that how terrified she would have to be waiting for something like this to happen? Again, back to the story. Starting verse 5, the end of it. What do you say we should do? And they were asking it to trick Jesus so that they could have a charge against him. But Jesus bent over and started writing on the ground. On the what? On the ground. Well, didn't it just say he was at the temple? Well, actually, he was more precisely at the temple complex. Got to try to imagine this. The temple complex was 600 foot square. Okay, city block is about 300 foot square. So it'd be like four city blocks. A football field is 300 feet. So it'd be like four football fields. In other words, it was a large area. And inside that compound was the temple. And if you remember the temple, there was porches, if you will, overhangs all the way around the temple. So that's where Jesus was. He was at one of these porches. Remember the story of the animals and Jesus came in and ran the started renting the animals out. That was in the temple. Literally, that was in the overhang again. Right? So he wasn't really inside the temple. He was probably sitting out there on that porch with his feet in the ground. When they continued to ask Jesus their question, he raised up and said, anyone here who's never sinned gets to throw the first stone. Then he bent over again and wrote on the ground again. Those who heard Jesus began to leave one by one. First the older men and then the others. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Why did they leave one by one and the older men first? Oh, there's many theories. But if you look in the King James Version of, this, of these scriptures... You'll get a clue as to why. Because King James Version of John chapter 8 verse 9 reads, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in their midst. What could he be writing on the ground with his finger that could cause that kind of conviction? I think he was writing their names. 
I believe he knew these people. He'd been around these Pharisees and these lawmakers quite a while. He knew who they were. And I think he reached over and wrote their names on the ground. And when they saw their names, all of a sudden it dawned on them. Wow. And therefore they started leaving one by one. Now the younger men, they're just followers. They just followed him out. Then Jesus raised up again and asked the woman, where are they? Has no one judged you guilty? And she answered, no one, sir. Then Jesus said, I also don't judge you guilty. You may go now, but don't sin anymore. Picture, she's standing before the Lord, and the witnesses aren't there anymore. When Jesus said he didn't judge her guilty, I don't think he meant that he didn't judge her guilty of breaking that law. What he said was he didn't judge her guilty to be stoned. He forgave her. But what did he tell her at the end? Go and don't sin anymore. Right? Very important part of it. What can I take away from this story? There are times in each one of our lives when we're standing before the Father flawed, broken, ashamed, and desperate for our sins to be confessed and forgiven, for our hopelessness to become hopeful, for our brokenness to become righteousness, for our flawed lives to become white as snow by the blood of Jesus Christ. As for her accusers, they're vanished one by one and are of no account. The main accuser, of course, is Satan, and he's always defeated. We learn from this story that our response to sin should be to admit our sinful condition before a holy God. The Bible is very clear on this point. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And second, we should learn that we should acknowledge the consequences that sin is destructive. Some attempt to present sin as no big deal. It's just having fun. And they'll tell you, my sin is my personal business and doesn't hurt anybody else. But shame, embarrassment, and destroyed lives are no laughing matter. This story allows us to see the harmful effects of sin. The third lesson revealed how to respond to sin is to accept the compassion offered by Christ. Jesus is our Savior who rescues us from our sin. He declared that he was the light of the world. I think John had this in mind when he wrote 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And this we know, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. This compassion was not just a one-time pass that enabled her to continue with her previous lifestyle. It was not a get out of jail free card so she could continue playing the sin game. The compassion of Jesus gave her a new life. And remember he said go and stop sinning. She was a child of God who's freed from the bondage of sin finally 
and allowed to walk in the light of Jesus Christ. But go and sin no more. As my dad would say, knock it off. Quit doing it. If you have unconfessed sin in your life today, you don't have to come to the altar and ask for forgiveness. You can do it right there where you're sitting. All you got to do is ask for it. In a moment, Preston's going to come up here and I offer the invitation. And David's going to have an invitation song. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to come to your house. And Father, I pray that anything that's been said might touch a heart that we can forget don't forget Jesus will forgive us all we have to do is ask and then go and sin no more I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as their personal savior that they will accept you today it's very simple and for all this we offer in your name. Amen.